Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but I said happy birthday to Tom Hetzel, and uh, it's his birthday today, so uh, <laughs> it's a major one. You'll have to ask him what that is. All right, good, good. And uh, my message is uh, about serving God through suffering. Uh, we're going to be turning to First Peter chapter 4. Continuing on in our studies in 1 Peter, uh, the first 11 verses of 1 Peter chapter 4. But uh, I was thinking in preparing this message that, you know, in the churches I grew up in, uh, and as a child, uh, as I, uh, going to church with my family uh, my, and with my parents, all the crosses I saw, I saw were those in the Catholic Church where Jesus was still hanging on the cross, uh, often in bloody agony. The crucifixes we wore, wore around our chains and around our necks as kids, they, they had the same as well. Once I was born again and as a young adult, and when I attended some Protestant churches, I noticed that crosses on display were plain and empty, and often white. As I got older and started attending an assembly, like Northern Hills Bible Chapel here, where we don't have crosses at all, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came off the cross and was raised from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. We sing a song, like we just sang, I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. I'm not lobbying for anyone to wear a crucifix or, or whether we should have a cross or not here at Northern Hills Bible Chapel. But I do think that some Christians have at times minimized Jesus' painful suffering. In the Gospels, plenty of time is, is spent describing the torture that led to Calvary. And the pain Jesus suffered while nailed there on that wooden cross. When we break bread together, like we just did in our last meeting, and, and sing the songs that are penned by men and women many years ago, faithful men and women, we do ponder what Jesus suffered. And on, on that and, and on what price he paid for our salvation we sing songs like smitten, smitten and afflicted. See him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. We sing, O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead to bear all ill for me, a victim led, thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me. One more. Nailed upon Golgotha's tree, faint and bleeding. Who is he? Hands and feet so rudely torn, weathered with crown of this of twisted thorn. The Lord Jesus truly suffered. 
truly suffered as a man who knew no sin. It was foretold by the prophet Isaiah that Jesus, the Messiah, I quote, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised, and he did not esteem him, and we did not esteem him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Jesus was falsely accused and rejected by Jewish leaders of the day. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, a very close disciple. God began in the Garden of Gethsemane to place all the sins of the world on him alone. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was mocked and abused by Romans uh, where they where he was hit and scourged and even spat upon. He was crucified between two thieves. His body was pierced with a spear and hanging on the cross, our sins were placed on him to suffer and to die. Let me quote a verse from Evan's portion from last week. It's a precious one from chapter 3. Verse 18, it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Conversions... Conversion to God involves an inward and an outward change. When a born-again person receives a new nature with new desires and new ambitions, the whole behavior is changed from that of a selfish, worldly person to a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is emphasized in the opening verses of this chapter 4 starting with verse 1. Let me invite Steve Ming to come up and read these verses for us as we get our meeting started. Steve. I'll be reading from the New American Standard translation. 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousings, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that You do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, in whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together as Christians this morning. Keep us safe, we pray. We don't take it lightly. We seek your blessing on our study this morning from First Peter as we continue through this, this book authored by such a great leader, Peter. Lord, we pray for a blessing upon the words that are shared and from the heart that we might bring glory to you. Lord Jesus, we love you and pray and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Lord instructed us, his own people, with the great commission of Matthew 28. Turn to that for a second. Matthew 28. Let me just read that commissional uh, send-off of the Lord Jesus. His words, he says in verse 19, telling his own to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you, always, even to the end of the age. Turn back just two chapters, or excuse me, a couple of chapters. Go to chapter 24. uh, 24. Matthew 24, in verse 14. And this, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. When Jesus said that the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, he also said in the same context, you will be hated by all the nations. Look at what Jesus says to us even in the previous couple of previous verses of where I just read, starting with verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. In other words, wherever you go in all the world, your efforts to bring the good news of everlasting life will be met with joy in some places and in anger in others. It's the same in your own little world here in Cincinnati or within your neighborhood or even within your family as you bring the news of what it is to know the Lord Jesus as Savior and Him alone. How about in your workplace? 
in your circle of friends. There are a good many reasons in Scripture to believe that the Great Commission will not be completed without suffering. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, where he calls evangelism the filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In other words, God's purpose is that the afflictions of Jesus, that which purchased our salvation, is to be imitated and demonstrated in the telling of others that great story of salvation that we enjoy. Another reason to believe that suffering comes with the fulfillment of spreading the gospel, Jesus himself said to his disciples after his resurrection, he said to them, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. We are to identify with him, which includes the rejection he felt. Not to be surprised by this. One more reason Paul said to Timothy several times that suffering comes with our testimony of being saved. As he carried on the work of church planting Timothy in Ephesus and spreading the gospel throughout Asia. In fact, let me read a couple of things. Turn to, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I've got a couple of verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, Paul's writing to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now let's go to chapter 2, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Turn to chapter 4, verse 5. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is just like what Paul writes to Romans. To the Romans in chapter 6. You can turn there with me, and we'll get back to our portion of study here this morning in a second. As I'm prepping the, the, the position here. The Romans chapter 6. Starting with verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, Christ, that our body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jumping back to 1 Peter, Peter says, arm yourself. We're going to look at that. He says, arm yourself with this thought. Paul writes, consider yourselves dead. When the temptations of Satan come to lust, to steal, to cheat, to covet, to retaliate, to put down, we are to arm ourselves, Peter writes with the thought. And when the Lord suffered and died to free me from sin, I died to sin. So back here in First Peter. Let me read again verse, verse 3. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have 
carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We are to arm ourselves, like it says in verse 1. We are to arm ourselves with the thought of what Jesus went to the cross for. In all of his suffering, to die for our sins. And Peter instructs us that we are dead in our sins with Christ as we identify with him. When Satan says to you, or to me, or to any one of us, when Satan says to you, why deny yourself the pleasures of lust? Why not just lie about the mess you got yourself in? Why not go ahead and buy that treasure you always wanted? You've been coveting this for a long time. Why not, Satan says, why not pay back evil for evil, that injustice that you've received? Peter's encouragement and ours today is answer him. The Son of God suffered to deliver me from sinning. He did not suffer to make me miserable. (laughs) You know uh, what he died to purchase, what he, the Lord Jesus, died to purchase, me and you, must be more wonderful than the pleasures of sin. What a truth. When Satan attacks from without, there is still an enemy from within. It's sin. It's the flesh that responds to his appeal. And it is only as we reckon ourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God, that we are enabled to have a stop of the fleshly deeds of our bodies. And this is hard. I know. Because I fall. I stumble. I crash. My fleshly human self fails. But isn't it a blessing of God's grace for him to quickly forgive us? (laughs) And we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. So be quick to seek forgiveness by confessing the sin that entangles you. A lesson that I need to remind myself of all the time. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Sometimes God uses suffering to keep us from going into that which would dishonor him. Julie and I went out to dinner on Friday night, and she told me about an old neighbor, a good friend of ours that moved away, about a comment that she, she made about parents and workers coming and going from a Christian daycare that she was working at. And I don't even think this woman was a, was a Christian. She said, and I, I can't believe how these parents and co-workers are so fearful and complain about the world and how bad our society has gotten. Why do they complain so much? They say they are Christians, but they don't seem to be trusting God. Isn't that what Christians are supposed to do? Where do we find ourselves today? 
complaining about how bad the world has gotten (laughs) and how much darkness we involve ourselves in, and yet we are to be the light of life and to reflect God's life, light to the world. The Great Commission is to share the gospel and how we've been saved, how others too can be saved. But sometimes I find myself complaining about how bad the world is. The refreshing challenge that Peter gives us in this portion, and, and all throughout this first letter of, of uh, Peter that he writes, is for us to resist every temptation to gratify the flesh. He's encouraging us. It costs what it may. It's going to hurt sometimes. For it is our new responsibility to live no longer in the flesh according to the worldly desires that entangled us, but in the spirit to the glory of God. It's apparent here that Peter knew that these Jews, newly born again Christian Jews that he's writing to, had once sought favor with and in the ways of the worldly Gentiles in this regional area, living among as neighbors, identifying with the sin and the, and, uh, and the worldliness that was certainly there. And since their conversion to follow Christ, all this was to change. Their former companions could not understand why they so suddenly and completely turned their lives around and became different. Because they accepted the Lord Jesus as Savior. And Peter's writing them to remember that to sin has died because we live with Christ. I understand that it may be hard for some of you who have accepted Christ as at an early age, perhaps as a child, in Sunday school class at a very young age. And how hard some of this might be to identify with what Peter's saying and what he's talking about here. But let me tell you, I... I was saved at 19 years old. That's when I first became born again. And I realized that the moments before I accepted Christ, that I knew that if I were to get hit by a Mack truck and die, I would be in hell. I had no confidence of sin being forgiven. Until that day in my apartment, I got to my knees and I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So at 19 years old, I changed dramatically in my lifestyle, in my choices, and in my behavior. At four or five years old in, a, in church or at home with mom, sometimes when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't, you, it's hard to identify what, what Peter's talking about, that old self, and, and, and where we're to walk in our newness of life. Let me tell you, folks, I, I, I can identify with what Peter's saying here about this old lifestyle and the choices that these Christians were taking and now stepping away from them and being different and with it some suffering. Some suffering because neighbors no longer wanted to give me a call. I got even family members that didn't even want to go out with me. My high school friends, at 19 years old, I only had high school friends, but I already, I was... 
I've, I've been away from them for about a year. I moved to a different city three days after high school graduation. But every time I'd go back to my hometown and visit with my friends, boy, it wore off quickly. Because I no longer wanted to go party. I no longer wanted to identify with their, with their the sinful behavior, the drunkenness, or whatever the circumstances was. I felt all alone. I didn't know too many other Christians. I knew one brother who was overseas in the army that shared Christ with me. I didn't. I, he, gave, he sent me a Bible. I didn't. Ha, I didn't know any other Christians, but I knew my life was changed. And at 19, I started feeling some of the suffering that comes with knowing the Lord Jesus as Savior. Ridiculed, laughed at. Oh, he's a Jesus freak. I could look at a tree and see the bark on a beautiful tree sitting in front of me. I remember the day I first looked at it. I said, who could make this but God? I was high on life. I was high on the new life that Jesus Christ gave me. I was born again. I wanted to be with uh, my old friends. In fact, I was for a little while. They saw me not participating in the drunkenness and the partying and the activities of a 20-year-old. One person at my 30-year high school reunion, I might have told you. I've mentioned this in the past. He came up to me. I haven't seen him for 30 years. And Dick, we called him Dickie. Dickie said, Mick, I want you to meet my wife. And because, because I want you to meet my wife, it's because of you. Dick, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, because you changed. You changed. And he said, I don't know if you know it or not, but I grew up in a Baptist church in Fargo, North Dakota. And, and I was saved, but I wasn't living like it. You changed. What a testimony we can have as individuals as we know and love the Lord Jesus to our neighbors, our families, our friends, and someday in glory, <laughs> people may come up to us and say, Ah, you helped lead me to Christ. I have no idea. Suffering often brings a blessing, the crown of blessings from God. Let me read verse 5 from our portion. These individuals that would turn from you, I'll just paraphrase a little bit. These individuals that turn from you and now reject you, you're no longer a part of running in their circles as you are, are newly born again and you come in and, you're, and, you're, and, and they malign you and, they, and they, they, they make you suffer in some ways. Verse 5, but they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Death itself is not, will not rescue a person from judgment. Death will not rescue a person from judgment because Peter says God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Death is no escape for the sinner. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It is appointed for men to die once and after comes the judgment. 
So when you suffer wrongly and you feel that someone gets away with murder, <laughs> leave it in the hands of a just God. He will judge justly the living and the dead. As Peter tells us, arm yourselves with this assurance. Arm yourselves with this thought to keep you from sinning. It is better to suffer for doing right and to leave judgment to God. How many people have you told? <laughs> I know I need, or have told you, excuse me, how many people have, might have, have told you as you visit, maybe on the street, maybe to a family member, maybe to a neighbor or a co-worker, I know I need to get right with God, they say. I know I need to get right. I need to break away from my sins, I know it. But just a little more time, and just a little more. Nah, I'm a little young for this now. I, I will when I get a little older. A little more time before I change. The gospel says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Folks, I pray that all of you have made that profession of faith and have broke from sin and, and, and have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that was sacrificed there on the cross on our behalf. I pray that you know and accepted Jesus as your Savior and you can identify with the forgiveness of sin and, and, and have received salvation and know it. But that's always not the case in an audience. <laughs> Not everybody may have confessed that and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I pray that you will. Let now, behold, now is the day of salvation. Before that accident happens and you no longer live. In verse 7, let me read this. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore... Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The Christian is always to keep the end in view. It helps me not to retaliate, not to pay back evil for evil or injustice for injustice, or to even think of these things. But as a Christian, we're to keep that end in view that our place is in eternity, and God will be the judge of the living and the dead. We are not to live for the passing moment of the day, but as one who knows, one who knows that the end of this present day really is at hand. This will come with the Lord's return. So be watchful and prayerful. I have a plaque at home that that I read almost every day, it says, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. We are to be faithful in prayer. And it's in God's grace that through our prayers being heard and that he may change things. Peter, Paul, and the other apostles expected the coming of Christ in their generation. They were expecting him to come again. 
we too are to watch and be ready and have an attitude of expectation of his coming. We are to stay alert with the end in mind. You can't help but get through this mess of this world that we find ourselves in, but knowing the end result that we will be in glory forever and in eternity with the Creator, God himself, and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Peter is passing on to us in these few verses and in his letter, really, he's passing on to us the same teaching that Jesus had taught him years years earlier. Let me quote just one little line from Jesus. Jesus says, Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Peter is telling us the same thing. Be on the alert and know that the end is at hand at any time. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Love, Love is able to overlook minor faults and failures that we see in other believers. Love. We are to love each other deeply. Think about our own fellowship here in the chapel. If we love each other the way we should, then our love will cover up, will cover up and be removed from sight many, many sins. The world hates believers. Our country is identifying as being non-Christian as a majority. Now, it wasn't the case when I was first born again. It's very recent in how quickly it turns. The world hates believers and they will know, (laughs) as the song says, we are Christians by our love. By our love. Not only for ourselves as believers, that love is extended, but also to uh, strangers, especially those who come in our meeting, come into our gathering. As church gathers, we are to be gracious to one another, using hospitality, as it says in verse 9. It tells us, I believe, both in the church and in our homes, that we are to be hospitable, loving, Friendly, encouraging. Ah, Peter just just writes so many things to stay positive. We know the end result and what's going to happen. Let God be the judge. And so in the meantime, don't be so critical of one another. Love one another. And forgiving one another. I think this forgiving and loving is especially needed more so today than has been in years past. When I started speaking from the pulpit here 35 years ago, at times I don't speak much because it's not my gift, but what I'm saying is more now than at any other time. We need to continue to represent the love of God, not only to one another, but to our 
our strangers and visitors that come within our midst. And not just here. The hospitality spoken of by Peter, I believe, is also to our homes. We are to be in the hospitality mode. For what? Because of the personal evangelism for the sake of the Great Commission, the sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with others. In fact, hospitality is an expression of brotherly love and a necessary tool for evangelism. It is a tremendous privilege in practicing it. Have you practiced hospitality? Some, the Bible says, have entertained angels in the practicing of hospitality and not knowing it. Any kindness shown to a child of God is reckoned as shown to the Lord himself. Remember that as we continue in sweet fellowship with one another and in your hospitable gift-giving in your home. Verse 10. In verse 10 it says, And as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, has good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This passage concludes with an exhortation about spiritual gifts. They are not meant to be used selfishly or to be hidden away, but used to serve others. Every Christian is is exhorted to serve others in the church and to be good stewards or managers to please God and his people. Are you doing that? Let the encouragement from Peter's letter encourage us to be hospitable more and loving and forgiving more to one another. This special gift we have is not for us to keep, but for us to share. The special gift that God and the Holy Spirit that dwells within, as the, as the Father gives us, is to be shared. Are you using your gift among us here at the chapel? Peter tells us to employ it. Make use of it. Put it to good use, brothers and sisters. Let me read the first half of verse 11. Whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so, as by the strength which God supplies. Now we look at some specific gifts he gives us right here. Two of them are mentioned as speaking. Speaking as one speaking the very words of God. The second one is serving with the strength that God provides. In both cases, we are spokesmen for God, not for ourselves. We are serving on behalf of God, and any glory in the use of these gifts is to go to God and not to us. I was blessed by the things shared this morning at the Lord's Supper as we took part in communion. As the Lord asks us to do, we hear, the, we hear the thoughts being shared by different men bringing their priestly sacrifice to God. On our behalf, coming together and the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us in song. It's not for the glory of man speaking. 
is for the glory of God and for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we are gathered to remember. Now in verse 7, we are given instructions to our conduct. And uh, we remember that we are to love one another. We are to uh, be forgiving to one another. Let me just jump right to 11, the second half, where it says, So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. For 33 years, Jesus, the embodiment of perfect love to God and man, lived and moved among the earth, And what was the result? He was despised and rejected of men. The longer he lived, the more he got hammered by man. The the wider he was known, the the wilder and and the louder and the fiercer came the cry, Crucify him! Crucify him. Peter prepares us and encourages us to be more like Jesus and expect the same results in our lives. Today, more than ever before in my lifetime, we are experiencing this. We should expect to suffer for his name at the hands of the wicked. Sobering lessons from Peter in his letter. Let me close my thoughts with a, with a song. I want to sing. Anna will come up and sing out of the Red Book. It's a one-verse song. It's out of the Red Book, number 176. Lord, be glorified. Lord, be glorified. I did not even bring it up here, but I think I know the song. Go ahead and stand with me, and while I'm standing as well, and then after the song, I'll close in a word of prayer. If you want to stand, or if you don't have to, you don't have to. But number 176, Anna will get us going into that. Jesus and that we can we can we can pray for you to be glorified in your church because we love one another we forgive one another and we are in your word like your 
your your true disciple, this man of God, Peter, what a joy it is to read his letter and we make it and apply it to ourselves today. Lord, help us in our walk that we might glorify you in all the things that we do. We have come from different backgrounds and find ourselves here for fellowship together. I know and realize how unworthy any of us is of glory. But I give you praise and thanks for your mercy and for using each of us in showing love to one another. So, Lord, I pray for blessing on this chapel and on each and everyone here. And in our workplace and in our homes and in our neighbor neighborhoods, Lord, I pray that we might have a true testimony for you to bring glory to you. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the sweetness of fellowship and joying with one another today. We seek your blessings as we go from here and travel to our homes. We don't take it for granted. We thank you for this. Bless our day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.